We come to this place for magic. We come to pop pull review, to laugh, to cry, to drink. Because we need that, all of us. That indescribable feeling we get when we hit the play button and go somewhere we've never been before. Sound that I can feel. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Not just entertained, but somehow reborn. Together. Pop Poor Review. We make movie podcasts better. I want to keep talking to you. You know, I have no idea what your situation is, but uh, but I feel like we have some kind of uh, connection, right? Yeah, me too. Yeah, right. Well, great. So listen, here's the deal. This is what we should do. You should get off the train with me here in Vienna and come check out the town. What? Come on, it'll be fun. Come on. <laughs> What would we do? Um, I don't know. All I know is I have to catch an Austrian Airlines flight tomorrow morning at 9.30, and I don't really have enough money for a hotel, so I was just going to walk around, and it'd be a lot more fun if you came with me. Welcome back, everybody. Have you popped open a beer or poured yourself a glass of wine yet? Because you're listening to Pop Pour Review with Jimmy Chico. Hello. Kelly Gong. Hi. And myself, Matt Chico. We are the movie podcast where we journey through the IMDb Top 250 list, and we have a special guest today, Ethan Simi from 24 Minutes of A24 Podcast. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, incredible. I'm super, super excited to be here. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to kind of give a brief little description, like for people listening, about your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's uh, 24 minutes of A24, and as the title might lead you to believe, the intention was to talk about A24 minute uh, A24 movies in 24 minutes and be a shorter podcast. Um, once my co-host uh, Ben and I started to venture into the A24 library, we realized that that is impossible because there's so many good movies. So um, it's just a regular length podcast, but we do talk about A24 films. Um, we've been doing some really fun stuff recently with some uh, collaborative drafts, and A24 um, has a lot of really exciting new releases coming out, so we've been covering that. Um, and then, you know, with the, the WGA and, and SAG strikes going on right now, a24 is one of the very few exempt um, studios that have agreed to pay writers and actors. So um, we are, co- are continuing to talk about their new releases. But it's a, it's a great podcast. It's really unhinged, and uh, it, it covers all things A24. It's wonderful. How many episodes did you get into before realizing you can't do 24 minutes? Um, probably two. And then we were <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. So um, at, the, at the time that we created the pod, actually, um, I had my own podcast. 15 minutes of Marvel, which was like in a similar vein, um, but it was actually 15 minutes. Um, and, and that was just like a solo pod just to kind of hold me over until I could have another podcast with it with another person. Um, ben had hit, has his own podcast called three films in a pod. Um, and we became friends throughout the years through podcasting. Um, and basically we're like, we both love A24. How can we make a pod? We're both very, very busy. Well, let's just make it short. And then we recorded like two or three episodes. And then like the heart rate came. We were like, this this just isn't isn't real. It's not going to happen. So <laughs> now it's just regular pod. Okay. But yeah, I think that's just a great... There's so many A24 movies that it's like, oh, perfect to talk about. That's like a whole podcast in itself. I mean, we struggle ourselves just to keep within our alleged one hour minute. Yeah. <laughs> so like I can only imagine sure. with an A24 movie. Like, with everything that goes into yeah. it. And you can't talk about it in just 24 minutes. No. Yeah, it can't be done. And, and it's very interesting because, you know, A24 over the last three, four years has really changed um, what, what they are. Like, in the movie industry and in the film industry and, like, what they produce. Um, we do, however, have a Patreon where we talk about not A24 movies. We're doing, like, sci-fi and AI movies right now to prepare ourselves for the creator which is coming out at the end of september um and we do actually do that in 24 minutes like that's the fun of the patreon so we have a timer like a live timer going and we talk about a movie as fast as we can if we go over we have a hot sauce punishment the next pod and it is terrible but it's really fun and um so we we at least kept that in spirit for the patreon but yeah a24 is is wonderful i just started laughing because i'm like i feel like if we tried to get the pod to like 24 four minutes we would be losing the challenge every single time absolute chaos absolute and utter chaos (laughs) i don't even know what a hot dog challenge is hot sauce hot Hot sauce sauce? i thought you said hot dog oh my gosh (laughs) hot hot dog challenge not a bad idea for a24 though every minute that is true everyone has to eat with the hot dog (laughs) finger every minute you go over you have to eat that many hot dogs (laughs) oh my god i would take a glizzy (laughs) (laughs) okay so um 
the the movie today we're doing is number 182 before sunrise uh that's the number as we record the episode the drink today is the stranger it's raspberry vodka lemonade and a splash of seltzer um the director richard richard linklater writer richard linklater and kim krizan i believe her name is pronounced starring ethan hawk julie depp uh imdb rating 8.1 out of 10 rotten tomato score um 100 critics, 100% critics, 93% audiences, Letterbox 4.3 out of 5. Box office, not that big, but 5.3 million domestic, 5.7 million uh, worldwide, and then adjusted, it was like 10 and 11 million uh, adjusted for inflation. And surprisingly, I thought there were Oscars, but I got confused with the second one. Uh, there are no Oscars for this movie, but uh, that's the info for the movie. Let's move on to Shotgun Facts. Before we do that, though, uh, I would like to say it's not Julie Del- Del- Depp, it's did Julie. I say Depp? You, you said, said Delp. Delp. Oh, or de- it's de- Delpy. I thought it was Depply. D e l p y is de- Delpy. Now Depply. I can't say it. Now I have no. I you're sh- you're you're saying D e d e p l y d e l p y Delpy. Well, Julie is in this movie. All right, so. fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so we're gonna move on to some shotgun facts. Uh, do you want to go, Ethan? Do you want to share your fun fact for the movie? Uh, yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, I always think a box office is a very interesting fact. I'm not going to choose that because you kind of already talked about that, but I think it's it's pretty impressive that it um, basically like um, got five times what it cost. I think it only cost like a couple million dollars to yeah. make this movie. Um, the fun fact I did want to point out is that Gwyneth Paltrow and Jennifer Aniston reportedly auditioned for the lead part. And I think that is terrible and i'm so happy that <laughs> neither of them got the part i have nothing against either of them i think they're fine actresses um but i think part of the innocence and i know we'll we'll get into the movie and everything but like part of what makes the movie work is julie delphi like at at this point in time she's not big like she she is not in crazy things and and so she carries this aura of like this could be real like this could be a person um that that you really meet on the train right i think I personally relate that to um, the Florida project. We just covered that on our podcast and apparently Riley Keough and Britney Spears had auditioned for the lead role. And if someone like that ended up getting the lead role, it just kind of takes away from the believability of like someone in um, a, either a struggling situation or like meeting a new person or things like that. So I think that's interesting. I did not know that before. And um, Julie Delpy rocks. So I'm glad that she got the role. If you had to choose, though, between Gwyneth Paltrow or Jennifer <laughs> Aniston getting it, who? because I think Gwyneth Paltrow out of the two is probably the better one for this role. Yeah, whole, wholeheartedly agree, for sure. I think Jennifer Aniston brings uh, possibly a really weird energy to this movie and like is trying to be funny all the time, maybe. Um, and quite honestly, I think they're both beautiful, but I think like Jennifer Aniston is a little bit too conventionally beautiful for like a lot like let's fall in love kind of a movie um and would really like skew this idea that that jesse falls in love with celine's soul right mm-hmm. not not necessarily i mean she is beautiful but like not necessarily on a jennifer aniston kind of a level so yeah i guess i would have given it to gwyneth but you know it is what it no, is. no yeah do you guys agree do you think i have the two of them <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no i think gwyneth would have been yeah. better Cause, yeah, I think you're right. Now I'm just thinking of Jennifer Aniston, like in Friends, trying to like do a Rachel. But that's a problem. It's the fact that, like, especially during that time when Friends had just come out, for her to break out of that shell and for people not to see her as just Rachel, that would be absolutely impossible. Because this was literally, I mean, the year after yeah. it started. Courtney yeah. Cox did it. What? In what? Scream. Just Gail Weathers. Yeah, but Gail Weathers is an that's uptight true. person. And so is Courtney Cox on Friends. But no, with that, yeah, but, but think, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like I can't. It's not like it doesn't ruin it because it's like, oh, I see her as this character. You know what I'm saying? The characterization is similar. Oh no, I see them as different characters. That's because you have a different love for Scream than I do. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel, and I feel like, um, what was her name in the movie? Uh, Celine. Celine. The two of them. That there's no characteristics similar. Like, like Gail and Monica sort of have. In essence, there's an easier connection to make between those two characters versus Celine and Rachel. Yeah. But isn't it yeah. funny that like you're looking for like an everyday type of character that you can fall in love with the train? And that's exactly like Jennifer Aniston's complete shtick when it comes to acting. She's like the every woman type of character. Like she's the next door neighbor. She's the mom. But it's just like I it's just like she wouldn't fit into this role. And I don't even think that she would be able to carry it 
acting wise. And this is, I love Jennifer Aniston, but I don't even think she would be, I don't, I don't think I've seen anything besides maybe Cake that she would be able to carry this type of role. Definitely like, a different role. It, yeah. I'd be super, super curious too, because I'm just, I'm just looking back. So it looks like, um, Julie Delphi was doing three colors. So three colors, white and three colors, red, which were, were, were pretty big. Um, but I think really before that, she wasn't in anything like too mainstream. If you think about like the longevity of the trilogy, especially in terms of like Jennifer Aniston, I just think that 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 crumbles. Like that just does not fall apart because there's no way that they fall in love. And then like Jennifer Aniston like goes on to live a normal life. Like she absolutely has people like, you know, trying to fall in love with her wherever she goes. And she probably ends up really successful. And, and it's just like a totally divergent future from what like Julie Delby brings to the character. Also like Jennifer Aniston definitely would have not done the second and third one. So like she would have been <laughs> way too big by that point. Uh, Jimmy, do you want to share your shotgun fact? Okay. So um, this is a little bit of a long one, but uh, it's pretty much the entire movie. I'm so scared that you're going to steal mine. <laughs> I think it's, re- <laughs> it's that the idea came from yep, the backgrounds of both Richard Linklater and Kim Kurzan. Uh, Linklater spent the night walking around Philadelphia with Amy, a woman he randomly met. And Kirzen rode, rode around in Europe on trains, meeting people on the way, on a one-way trip to meet a Norwegian man on the way to Paris, and ended up walking around the city all night, much like before sun, sunrise. Kirzen had never revealed whether or not they had a romantic, romance that night, and they lost contact. But Linklater and Amy stayed in touch for a while until it was lost, and he never heard from her again, not until 2010 when he had found out that she had died in a traffic accident before the release of the movie. Um, and Kirzen never reconnected with the Norwegian man that uh, was her inspiration for the famous night of walking around a European city. I was wondering if you're going to go through the pressing half of the story. Where of course it's like, you got to keep going <laughs> where she's like, she's dead now. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I, I wonder if that, I wonder if that is part of maybe why Celine talks about um, while they're at the pinball machine, talks about her ex-boyfriend and like, Oh, she's like, she's petrified of finding out that he's just going to, die uh one day or like someone's gonna die in an accident and like they'll have this this lingering connection um that definitely seems like it might be pulled from that experience because i did read that she he didn't know she died until after the movie came like right after this one came out oh oh okay well so it might have been a little just like very weird coincidence yeah it wasn't until 2010 this was uh, 95 oh i i read that um but she died she died before the movie came out but he didn't find out until 2010 Yeah. yeah Uh, oh, interesting. Kelly, do you have one now? <laughs> I do. But it's like a more of a little bit of a controversial fact. Not not so much with the movie, but I think it was like 2014 or so, but way later, like I think like after the sequel or anything, and it was Julie Delpy had claimed originally that her and Ethan Hawke had rewrote, had rewrote pretty much the entire screenplay of this movie. And then... Um, What's, I forgot her first name. Kurzan. What's mm-hmm. her first name? Kristen. Kristen Kurzan. It was just like, nope, that is not true. And I'm just like, I mean, I guess because like when I tried, I kind of delved more into the history of the movies. Um, and it seemed that Ethan, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delby had a really, really like deep connection and was really involved in this entire process. But like, they continued on with movies even wasn't the last one after when would the last one come out the the last like last the last one? one the trilogy uh, 2012 i believe oh so then it was after 2013 i think it was oh, okay well that was very close okay so she definitely made these comments after the entire trilogy was done but i was just kind of like damn like there well, definitely isn't going to be any more after this but they got credited for the second and third one because that they i believe her cuz she's like this is the type of movie where you can't just like Say the words. No, no, that's not true. They said that this had very, very little improvisation improv. No, no, and I the know. fact that that everything was rehearsed tediously, every line, every movement. So yeah, that could be like something they helped with. But it's like when you say that, it's kind of like I feel like it's like a fifty-fifty type of thing. No, I meant like that. You can't like if it's so scripted, they had to help rewrites. Like they had to have been part of it. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I could see that. Yeah, because like to me, it's like, how do you like rehearse it so much and just never suggest anything? I mean, they were probably just uncredited. And well, that's what they are. Yeah, I think like she, but I think she, that's what the whole 
controversy was she was upset that like she had to go uncredited even though like we we helped rewrite the movie like give me yeah a yeah 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 i get yeah. that um so mine good thing i i like prepared for because there weren't that many so i was like just I knew in case jimmy it, was gonna steal mine i knew it. everyone <laughs> stole mine so luckily i had one extra um it was about the box office uh before sunrise only grows five million domestically which is extremely low however adjusted for inflation it becomes the highest grossing film of the before trilogy at 10.5 million dollars which uh while films were not in high demand at the box office link letter hawk and Dep- Depley? Delpy. 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 Um, all wanted to make a sequel and did with Before Sunset. Uh, there are actually several franchises with much lower grosses that receive sequels. And one of the things I found was like, including like the VHS horror film. Like people are saying like, this is the lowest movie that ever made money to get a sequel. And they were like, nope, there are a few more. You mean VHS? Like the horror film actually called VHS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've never seen those because they're scary and I heard they make you sick. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, those those are the shotgun facts. Jimmy, um, since we shared some information, can you please give us a little bit of a summary of Before Sunrise? Yes, I can. A young man and woman meet on the train in Europe and wind up spending one evening together in Vienna. Unfortunately, both know that this will probably be their only night together. And with that, I forgot that it was that short. But with that, we will take a quick break and start talking about uh, Before Sunrise. I get confused with before sunrise. I know. I'm like and before sunset. When I was talking before, I was like, just, just, just say this movie. <laughs> the first movie in the in this in the before trilogy. I uh, will be right back. Hi, I'm Nate, and I'm Andrew, and we are the hosts of Two Beards Please podcast. I asked him if he'd ever done this before. He said that he had. So you're asking these questions while you're on the operating table, just before we start, right? So you didn't think to ask these questions. Nah. Like in a consultation visit, I really or didn't care. I just wanted lines. to prolong the hot knife cauterization <laughs> as long as I could. I also had some adults come to my door, not with kids. Did you give them candy? I did. What's wrong with you? What's they deserve apples. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite comedy movie that I could think of in four hours when some idiot says, What's your favorite four comedy movies of all time? Okay. This beardy is based on a limited amount of time, and I only had two beers. Laugh with us or laugh at us. Either way, you're laughing, and we're responsible. Find all of the links to our social media as well as major listening platforms on our website, twobeardsplease.com. And we're back. Um, before sunrise, number 182, 1995. Uh, so what we do, Ethan, is we kind of like say, do you think it should be at 185? And do you even think it should be on the top 250 list? So we'll start with you if you want. I haven't looked at the entire list. I don't really know, um, at least like right now while I'm speaking, like what, what I'm going up against. I definitely, I very firmly believe it should be in the, the top 250. Um, I'm excited that it is 185, you said. So um, I'm excited that it's, you know, it's not like it's squeaking in at like 244 or something like that. Um, I think it is. Um, and and as we talk about the movie, um, obviously we'll, we'll, talk more but like i think it's a very interesting like anti-time capsule kind of because everything talked about in this movie is is timeless everything is um a, an issue or um something to kind of um push people's relationships forward uh, even now 30 years later right so um i think it is an absolute timeless film that does deserve to be in the 250 I like its spot. I think uh, before sunset is two twenty. I think, yeah. and before midnight is not in there. I have issues with those numbers. Um, I think before sunrise, it's my favorite trilogy. It's an impeccable, perfect film, um, and I don't give I don't give out five stars very often. I try not to, and so it definitely deserves where it is in you know the, in the IMDb top two fifty, but also kind of in the pantheon in like the culture of the walk and talk and of the romance movies in, in general. I, mean, I definitely agree with you. I definitely think it should be on the list. And I think, I, I think one, did I say one eighty five one eighty two I think like in the hundred to 200 is definitely like a good range. I think going above that might be a little too much, but I definitely get like the appreciation for this film. So I definitely think like where it is is good and it should be on the list. Jimmy, I'll start with you. Because I know Kelly's answer, and we'll have her go last. <laughs> um, no, I definitely think it deserves to be on here. The story for me is not perfect, 
but I think the just the the way Richard Linklater filmed it, and it's just kind of just as Matt loves these movies. The uh, nothing's really going on; they're just walking and talking throughout throughout Europe, and I think that that was big for that time and that kind of. I mean, even though he had had other movies before that, it kind of put him on the map in like a film, like back to be like his like an artistic director and everything even though it wasn't like a very artsy film it was just very low budget and he got his point across and and everything worked i think in a way it's a little bit of an artsy film the way he tells like this is i feel like the way he tells his version of a love story you know yeah i mean maybe it's not but it's not like his version of a love story it's just a love story and he kind of based it off of his own life because it's not normal that you see this in like Hollywood movies, like how it's just very real and not like over fantasized and stuff like that. Oh yeah, that then then yeah. it just very that's what I meant kind of like by like low budget oh, okay, just kind of like realistic uh, type of filmmaking. Like he does, like I think Richard Linklater does. Oh, this definitely normally. yeah, because I've only seen a few of his movies, and this one that, his movies just have that like you want to live in that world, like that charm that he make that has, and this one had it. I haven't seen the other two. But I, I, this one did make me want to see the other two. And now, Kelly, we'll have you go. Please share what you thought. <laughs> well, the reason I am last is because I am not a huge fan of this movie. Um, I will. Oh, no, Kelly. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not a huge fan <laughs> of this movie. Um, I don't think it deserves to be as at on like as high it is. But I can admit that it should be at least in the low 200s for me because I can't like take away the fact that even though I personally wasn't super engaged with it that the acting was phenomenal from a female perspective I guess you could say that some people maybe during that time that was something that was more engaging for a female audience as the only female out of this trio I didn't find it quite romantic or engaging in any sense of the word like, I didn't really, like, I wasn't drawn into Ethan Hawke's character. Julie Delpy's character, I could totally get. Um, you know, I am not a huge fan of just purely talking movies. Like, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. This one, not particular. I get the whole first date type of vibes. Like, I totally get that. Like, you know, you don't know each other. You're trying to learn and talk about all this stuff. But I also don't generally enjoy characters like Ethan Hawke's character who's like a romantic cynic I find it very stereotypical and I just don't enjoy those type of characters in general in movies why because you know they're romantic but they talk about how the world is going to end and how people always have a negative view on life or something like that I don't find that attractive so as as a, as a female point of view I don't find him attractive which is probably which could attribute to the reason why I didn't find this movie engaging or something that I personally find charming. Mm -hmm. See, like normally, like Jimmy said, sometimes like a, a movie about nothing, and if it's not done right, I might not love it. Or a movie that has a lot of talking, it really has to be like made very well in order to, I feel like, pull it off. And I think this one did it because of, I think, the acting, the, the charm. It's funny because I actually thought... Out of the two characters, Ethan Hawke presented, he came off more charming than Julie, um, Julie. So, but like, that's the thing is that like, I, I mean, for me, I didn't find him charming. Why is that? Because I thought he fell into like a nineties romantic trope. A lot of movies in the nineties, especially like, I feel like we could all attest to even like teen romantic comedies, the, the main character, or there at least is one character who's a romantic cynic. Um, my dislike probably comes more from the fact that I don't find him charming or attractive. So the reason why I don't find that charming or attractive is because I've seen that in like so many other 90s types of movies. I don't think he did anything to break the mold. Mm -hmm. I'll give it to him that for a movie, for a movie like this with the acting, he did well because it's also like I was saying before that they were so tedious with the words and how they moved and everything else that it's like, I was shocked when I read that it wasn't, there was no improv. Mm -hmm. I was very shocked. So that's why I have to give it to them for the acting. But generally my dislike comes from it. it again, it's just because as a girl, I, I didn't find them charming. So I didn't enjoy watching them walk around all night. I just didn't. I'm, I'm curious. Has anybody seen Reality Bites mm -hmm. on this one? Oh, with Ben Stiller? 
Yeah, the Ben Stiller movie. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it, but I I've only seen it like a couple times. I really don't remember. I only remember like bits and pieces of yeah. it. I'm just I just bring it up because I'm I he makes Reality Bites in '94 and then he makes this in '95, and um, his character Troy in Reality Bites is is very much of a similar vein. So I think that was like a total vibe for like Ethan Hawke at that time. I think he was like the '90s. Not necessarily like the heartthrob, right? He wasn't like a Patrick no, Swayze, no, he's but a tortured, he was, he's a tortured artistic he's a, soul. He's a tortured, exactly, a tortured artistic soul. And his character in Reality Bites is exceptionally similar to this and like and how he views the world and what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, for me, I love Reality Bites. And I think like, I think, I guess I just like land differently than you, right? Like I just connect with his character. I think I personally... Um, and you know, male perspective, like I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic and I, you know, I'm happily married and I have kids and I love this kind of stuff. But like, you know, uh, La La Land will just chew me up and spit me out every time. Cause it's like about a misconnection. Right. So, um, movies like this, like I just really connect to. So I think, um, him particularly, um, and that, and the struggle that he goes through in basically like the 100 minutes that we spend with him, um, is really interesting to me to watch him like process in live time. He's trying to figure out his personality. He's trying to figure out if he really should be this guy who like tries to be cool and suave and, and win her over or if like her uh, heartbreaking honesty about herself and in turn him uh, maybe draws him away from that personality. So I think that's what's interesting to me, but I respect, I, I mean, like I, I love your take. I, I think you, you have really good points. Um, and I think, it is important, and I guess I personally put it in the context of like before sunrise and before midnight, because I know what his character becomes. And so I think going back and watching, uh, or sorry, before sunset and before midnight. So like going back and watching sunrise, I'm a lot more drawn to his character because I know in 18 years what is different about his character, and I find that incredibly fascinating to watch him grow up in real time throughout this like story of Jesse and Celine. Also, I think the before trilogy is like literally my favorite trilogy of all time so uh, <laughs> you're talking against the brick wall here you're not going to change my mind oh no i'm not i know i'm not going to change the wall like when they both told me they loved it i was like this is gonna suck i was like this is yeah. not gonna go my way but i can't change i'm glad you don't though like i, I think that's good to <laughs> yeah it's good to bring to the conversation for sure well i think it just talks about the like we often talk about lately especially because we've been watching all these older movies the evolution of the audience that you're with so oh when we talk about the evolution of the audience, we're talking about um, what movie was it? North by Northwest. So, for example, we were talking about how, um, you know, there was the train scene. I don't know if you've ever seen North by Northwest. So, Not yet. I'm in a Hitchcock class for my master's right now, and we're watching it in a couple of weeks. So I've held off until I can watch it. All right. Well, I, I don't know when if you I can say the, this. When you just, just when you <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to ruin it for you. When you see the ending of the movie, <laughs> okay, you'll Oh, no, know. no, no. What's the other movie um, that we saw? It Happened One Night. So, okay, yeah, yeah. for example, It Happened One Night. At the very end, everyone was very shocked because they're like, oh, they're in the same room and no one is with them. So, like, that is, like, pretty much like a rated R scene back in that time. So, like, right. when we talk about the evolution of audience, we talk about why sometimes when we're watching older movies why we aren't as shocked by certain things and the reason why is because movies have evolved the way we view movies is different what we see as like what was a big deal back then isn't a big deal now so that also we always have to take that into account so for me here I was like you know back in the 90s and everything that was the stereotypical like that's who people wanted People wanted that bad boy from 90210, I forgot his name. I think Jason Priestley played that character. Like, that tortured artist type of thing. And I guess for me, it's just because that's not really the person that, that's not like the archetype now. So because I'm not into that, it took me out of the movie. So I think that's the thing. It's a romantic movie. Like, I have like, you know, we all have our own things. But that, I don't think I've ever really truly enjoyed that. Well, it's also like the re- I was reading the reviews for this and like this whole conversation is like a lot of people said it was the Casablanca for 1990s. And it was like um, like this, the, the realistic acting and just like the the way you like can just fall in love so quickly on, with something and how it seems fake. But like when you do it right, it's real. It can be so real. And then the other people are like, not my not my idea of romantic where they almost said it was kind of like uh, they were they were they became jaded to the characters 
and they were like they were hitting them over the head with all the 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 dialogue almost made it seem like it wasn't like real because it's like oh you you don't just like have this whirlwind conversation so quickly and I'm like I get people's perspective on that but just I don't know it's just and I never compared this movie to La La Land until you just said that and I'm like how have I never compared the two because those are so similar with the themes of the movie but like it's just I feel like just so realistic with like you know it's what they say all the time like opposites attract she was kind of a she wanted to be like a romantic he didn't and it was just like them trying to prove to each other who was right and who was wrong? And that's how they kind of bonded. No, but that's true, and I don't disagree with that. But I'm. I also told you guys after I first saw it, I was like, "Yo, I've I've been on a lot of first dates. I don't talk like that. <laughs> like, I don't was- have these type of conversations <laughs> like this." Yeah. So that's where it takes the realism out of it, because it's like, okay. yes, sometimes you can fall into type of philosophical conversations or or whatnot. Like it can happen. It may not happen. That might be what people are saying is the spark of the movie. That it's rare for you to find someone to have these super deep conversations but i was like realistically no i'm not gonna have these type of conversations but with someone maybe the reason that's why people like it so much is because that's what they want yeah well that's why i'm saying it's an, it's what they find charming and it's what their fantasy is for me that's not it so that's why i don't particularly connect with the movie it's not because they did it bad it's not because it's a bad movie it's just me personally when it comes to personal preference Because I don't find that, and like I said, I don't find that romantic or charming or that's not a fantasy that I have. It'll be more difficult for me to connect and want to find myself, uh, what do you call it, invested in the relationship. See, what's funny is like, because you said like that's, you've been on first date. Like I remember I was watching it and I was like, the dates that I've been on, like not the exact conversation happened, but such similar like situations like this happen where it's like you don't talk about the exact same thing or so philosophical or whatever it's philosophical philosophical. philosophical, thank you but like it's just the types of conversations you're having where it's just like you can just start talking about anything and it just keeps going and it's just very unbroken conversation and i think that's where i was like oh like that's very like i I feel like i've done that before where it's like oh okay like that maybe that's why i connected with it more because i maybe saw myself more than you have in the movie so that's maybe why too is that what you're talking about on dates matt yeah i'm talking about oh god we go to psychics it's it's a whole thing matt, matt just goes on the, the long island railroad and just sits there <laughs> it's just like want to get off i like wh- I, I like i think ooh. um no go ahead no, I, was just, I, I like wait for like a german couple fighting on the train i'm like there's my moment <laughs> i think what is really fascinating to me as well because i've seen this movie a few times now is the ability and i think it's like from the moment that these two people start to interact they have um this real like push and pull with like what they believe in in terms of like the the world and destiny and and you know jesse mentions like souls right like there's only a finite number of souls like are we at a five to one split now is like does everybody have a unique soul and he's really concerned with things like that. Like you said, Kelly, like this very hopeless artistic person who views the world in that viewpoint. And then Selena is very much um, worried about how she can fight the system essentially and how she can have, I mean, that's why she's continuing school. So she has something to go up against. So it's these two people with incredibly strong ideals and morals that found someone else that can like, reciprocate that type of energy and i think that's really appealing to both of them and perhaps why they start to fall as deeply in love as they do because they see some semblance of themselves in each other and i think especially from like jesse's point of view he sees someone that is that that thinks basically a completely different way about life but is able to understand and let him let him think about how he thinks about life and maybe he's never had that before in a, in a girlfriend. Sounds like with his ex-girlfriend that, that he, you know, broke it off with, that wasn't the case, right? So I think these two really profoundly thinking people find someone to like butt heads with. And it, it end up, instead of butting heads, they end up gelling and meshing with each other. And I think it's really easy for me. Um, but also like from, a, from my point of view, um, my, to, like my top actors, I'm like, Ryan Gosling, Jake Gyllenhaal, Ethan Hunt. Like those are my my guys, and like I said, love my wife. Um, she's gorgeous. <laughs> but like if Ethan Hawke started to fall in love with me in, in Vienna, like I, I don't know what would happen. We'll find out. If you, so, if you saw him uh, on a train, all all bets are off. 
all bets are off. And my wife knows that. And we're, that's an agreement we've reached in life. And that's totally good. So I think there is like just an innate, like kind of attraction to like both of their stances. And what I find really, that really works for me for the movie is a lot of the editing choices that we get is that for long stretches of time, we do walk down a street or we turn into a club or whatever it might be. But then all of a sudden, we pick up from, we, we have a very important conversation and then we just pick up all of a sudden we're in a restaurant having another conversation. And so like this um, expedited sense of time isn't, time is against us, right? Time is this like all defeating person that you can never win against. Um, and I think that energy that comes with that is kind of like an elixir in this movie, at least for me, because I just want them to keep talking. I want them to know more about each other. I want to know more about them. And I want to know more about what makes them tick and what makes them work. And, and you know, if, if they are going to kind of try to beat um, the odds and, and end up falling in love. So I think there's a lot of like kind of intertwining themes that just so happen to like work in conjunction and really make something that is from, from start to finish exceptionally enthralling for me. And I think what else, like also something that helps with that is like the two of them are just like the chemistry, like from the moment they meet each other, I thought was like, oh, wow, like they had very good chemistry. Like I almost wanted to look, mm. look to see like, were they, did they start to date after this movie? Because it was so, but I was yeah. like, then I was like, wait, my Hawk, I think was born around this time. So maybe not. Maybe he was with Uma Thurman. So I wasn't sure. But I was like, it was so magnetic from the second they like started talking that I was like, why? And it's like one of those things where like, you're like waiting for like the next move to happen. And it's like, it's not awkward. It's almost like you become awkward because you're like, this is weird that I'm like, want you to do this through a TV mm-hmm. screen. Like, this, this is like, okay, guys, let's have your first kiss. Like, do that. Like, oh, when they were in the, when they were, when they were in the field, just like, just, just have sex. Like, you, you guys are a couple. Like, let's just, you know, just make it, like, make, become official. Like, just don't leave each other. Like, yeah. stuff like that. And which is why the ending is so, I was like, I knew there was a sequel, but I can see people being like, damn. This is rough. They had to leave each other. But I like that about this I'm, movie. No, yeah. And that's why I feel like the, those type of endings, I feel like, get the stronger reaction. Well, that's more realistic than yeah. them staying together. So let me ask you this, though, Ethan, because you you love the whole trilogy. Is the second and third one have, like, the same... Like, is it just a different vibe because it's not them first meeting each other? Or is it kind of have that same feeling that you they come back together and it's like, oh, it's like no, no time ever left? Yeah, I think... Ultimately, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both camps, right? And I was going to say, can you can you imagine getting, and I guess like, I don't know, the closest thing that you could put it against now would be some piece of major IP. But like, could you imagine getting a movie like this and, you know, or a movie like Brief Encounter or a movie like something like that where you're left with like, did they ever get back together? And then we just like all go about our lives for nine years. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, we're making a sequel. And guess what? They're going to find each other again. I would like shit my pants. I would be like, <laughs> I thought we were done with this. I can't believe we're going to go back to these people. Like, and they did it twice with this trilogy. They were, they, they did that. And then they were like nine more years. Let's do it again. Which I, I just like from a logistics standpoint, just only link later could, could really pull off. There is a certain, um, really like kind of childish innocence to this first entry where they do fall in love because they, they essentially are trying to woo one another over. They're trying to understand um, their souls and their personalities and like talk about these very timeless um, yet really pertinent topics about their lives. So there's something very, very special about this and, and, you know, the ending and okay, we're going to come back in six months and, and that whole energy of it, it does continue to before sunrise, um, which is actually my, my favorite of the trilogy, but you know, like it does have that essence and link later is a magician for being able to do something like this, where the theme of, of this time doesn't exist. Like that, that's how you feel when you watch before sunset, at least for me, I turn it on and I'm just like right back into their lives. Of course we get a lot of background on what might've happened in the nine years since we've last seen them and why, why maybe they did or did not. I, I don't know what you guys know, or I don't want to spoil anything for you. I mean, I think, I think there is something really special about like just jumping back in with these people. And that's not something a lot of IP franchises or even trilogies can pull off very well, especially over such a long legitimate period of time over nine years. Um, and it's basically all the groundwork is done in before sunrise because 
everything builds off of this in the future. You already know Jesse. You already know Celine. You already know their ideals. You know that Celine likes to, to fight the system and, and feels this continuous pressure to be an iconic, uh, you know, an icon of womanhood and these types of things that she deals with on a daily basis. So it is, it invokes this really strong sense of curiosity as well, because you're like, has, have they changed? Like, who, who are they now? What, what, you know, not necessarily logistically, like, did they have other relationships? Did they, have they been married for eight years? Like what is their situation? But also like, how has, has their morals and their ideals and their souls changed since the last time we've seen them? And then as well with Before Midnight, which I think is the most heartbreaking of the trilogy. I think it's the saddest one. Um, if, if this entry kind of exudes this like very youthful hopefulness of we can do it, we can beat time, we can be together, anything's possible. Uh, Before Midnight is the the true manifestation of everything that they're worried about in this very first one of like, does, you know, the more time we spend together, do you start to hate each other's mannerisms? Do you start to not be able to listen to one another? Like all these exceptionally intricate ideas that are just about daily life that come to fruition in the final chapter. Um, So there's something special about each one, but the energy that's planted here definitely carries forth to the other two. And I feel like there's so many little, like this, the nuance in this movie, I'm assuming it's in the other two as well. Like that just shows how good of a director and writer like Richard Linklater is. It's just like, and that's why I said in the beginning, I was like, it just feels very homey, his movies. Like, oh, it feels like I can be in that movie. Like, I, I, it feels like that world's very real. And I feel like that <laughs> helped this movie so much for me. Because it was, I feel like it could have gone off the rails because it's not really about anything and it's very talky. And I feel like it could have took a hard left like some other movies do. And in this one, I think, because he has a very specific like view of how he wants to do his movies that, I mean, this one wasn't filmed over... 20 years like boyhood, boyhood or the new one that's coming out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like what is it? Mer- Merrily. We Merrily. We're along. Uh, I mean, Ooh, yeah. I mean like, so like there wasn't like that element, but like he's able to, even with those movies, he's able to like, keep those nuances for over that long period of time. He just has the detail to tell these types of stories, which I really appreciate. Well, I mean the, the before trilogy is almost like boyhood and Merrily. We roll yeah. along. It's just, they, they didn't film. It just, they took nine years to come back. Yeah. And then another nine years to come back. Yeah, but I agree mm-hmm. in the fact that Richard Linklater is probably one of the only people who could have accomplished this with, like, actual finesse and, like, not mm-hmm. a loss in quality. Because even if we look at the TV landscape, we have all these shows coming back after, like, years or whatever. People just, like, sometimes they just fuck it up. I'm sorry. They just fuck it up. Like, it's like, why did this character suddenly take, like, a hard left from how they were in the original show? Like, yes, like, time has passed, and we understand that in the show or the movie, like, time has passed. But it's like, you have to really put a lot of thought into, like, filling in those gaps. You can't just suddenly be, like, hard left, like, you suck. Like, all of a sudden, like, and he's one of the few people that can actually do it. And I enjoy his films. I like Boyhood. I love um, the oh Apollo God. one. I like, love Apollo ten and a half. I Apollo ten and a half rock. I love movies that feel that way. This one just unfortunately wasn't one that hit with me for him. But it's true that he is one of the only people that could pull this off. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that could pull off this huge gap without like, like ruining everything. I mean, do we consider Avatar a success? Like. From t- 2009 yeah. to 2023. <laughs> I mean, I it's different. It's the same story, but is it? <laughs> it's the same story, but the special it's effects are better. The same thing. True, but we all still went to go see it. <laughs> it made over $2 billion. It's the same in a different I, way. It's the same, yeah. but I, I mean, I like the second one better. But I was just like, but did he accomplish this? Why like Richard we, Linklater. Why don't we just say like Top Gun? I feel like that's Ooh, a better... Oh, Top Gun. Yeah, Top Gun. Big, big age. That's and then a better just, comp, yeah. That's a better one. I, that's 100% better. I, <laughs> I think um, Linklater and Christopher Nolan are very interesting Hollywood juxtapositions of how m- major slash, you know, like quote-unquote major directors um, operate with the concept of time. Because Christopher Nolan, obviously, like Memento and Inception and Interstellar and now Oppenheimer and all of these things that are loud and boisterous and like time is you know time rules all and like how do we change time and then Linklater is the complete opposite of like time consumes us and it changes who we are but not really and so like let's tell that story very delicately I think 
that would be a very interesting, like a double feature to watch like a Nolan movie and then a Linklater movie and, and see how time passes through the eyes of two very different prominent directors um, would be something very interesting. Watch Boyhood to go from beginning to end and then watch Memento to go from end to beginning. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if that's good for anybody's mental I, I was state, about to say, honestly. I was like, I, I like literally barely made it do the first mem- watching of Memento. But also, like, li- Richard Lankletter, like, with the time thing, he also, like, does, I feel like, a good, like, to- like, what you said, like, kind of early in the episode, like, it's his movies are kind of timeless sometimes. Like, it's just like, because, like, you can kind of just watch it any time and you can connect to it. It's like, you go back to when the movie was supposed to take place for that character. And I think that's pretty pretty big to accomplish. Because a lot of the reviews, some of the reviews, I think, like, agree with Kelly where they didn't love it as much and they were like, it was it was basic, but, like, it was beautiful to look at. Like, the idea is beautiful, but it was basic in the execution. Like, I don't think that. I think, like, in order, like, it, yeah, sure, it could be basic idea, but the execution, I feel like, was not basic at all. Yeah, but the thing is, we've also had opposing views of this, like licorice pizza. Mm-hmm. Me and Jimmy love licorice pizza. Oh no, pizza. wait, who is who is pro licorice pizza on this pod? Oh, I am. We are love oh, licorice yeah. pizza. Thank God, love licorice. Oh pizza. my God, Let's I thought you were go. about to go against us. I was like, someone's <laughs> finally no, on that side. No, I thought you guys side. were about to slander it. No, 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 no. We that was, love that was two and a half pizza. hours of, of pure, pure joy, joy, and just <laughs> cinema, baby. Oh. It's kind of funny because I like. I think I have he to, hates licorice I don't, pizza. I don't like hate it, but like it's kind of like Kelly, where I appreciate the movie, but it's just like two and a half hours of a movie about nothing was a little too much for me. Is it though? Is it though, Matt? <laughs> Is it about nothing? I don't know. We got to pump the IMDb numbers and get it in the top 250 so then I can come back and get it. I was going to say, Ethan's going to just be like writing reviews. Amazing. 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 Oh, look, Amazing. It's, in the, it's in the top 250 now. We have to talk about it. No, Matt's, Matt's going to end up like me. He's going to be like, I'm so scared to go on this podcast right now. I know everyone loves this yeah. movie. I didn't like hate it. Like I'm never going to watch it again, but it wasn't my favorite. It's just movies about nothing. It, it's no. a hit or miss for me. Yeah. But yeah, that's, fair. that's you. It's your bad beat, and you gotta live with it. Okay. <laughs> no, but yeah, that's the same. It's like the same thing. Like generally, I I am like hit or miss with movies about nothing. But generally, I like licorice pizza. I love that. That was like an absolute joy for me to watch. I was like sitting there, and I remember it finished, and I think I texted Jimmy, and I was like, "Licorice pizza is like one of the best things I've seen this year. Like oh, yeah. I I can't. I was like I love it, and I like wanted to go back and watch it again, like almost immediately as well." It's just this one. It was like, I can't even say that I just didn't. This one is just one that it didn't hit my, it didn't hit my girly romantic bone. It just didn't. So that's, that's the only reason why I have to say that I didn't enjoy it. It didn't hit that romantic feels that I want. And what's funny is cause like I was enjoying the movie and I feel like the ending for me, like sold me on the movie with the ending when they go to all this, the, the locations that was just the daylight empty and all that. I was like, I feel like it just was like, I was like, now I really like this movie just cause it just wrapped up everything in as good of a bow as you could for the story that they told. I mean, the ending is fine. It's just at, because I'm someone who just didn't care about their relationship or their progression. The ending, realistic, and I have to give props to that. Like, it's not like they were like, we're going to stay together. And where are they, Vienna? Yeah. Forever. Like, no, like, if that happened, I would have been like, this definitely she does not deserve anywhere. I'm not going to even say anything nice about it. <laughs> but, like, it, the realism because of Richard Linklater, like, I, I can give it to him, but because I wasn't invested in the characters, it didn't, like, I wasn't like, damn it. Like, I was just like, okay, yeah. where's the credits? The- <laughs> I have to read one review that I, it threw me off guard. It literally was, I was not expecting, I was expecting something different, it said. So I'm like, oh, they didn't like the movie. Okay. Overall, this was a pretty good movie that kept me interested enough to keep me watching, and I enjoyed the music. I was kind of disappointed Jesse was not a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) I read that. I had to read it twice. So far out of left field. (laughs) So random. I had to read it twice because I'm like, wait. I was like, oh, they watched it because it said before sunrise, and just just assumed it was vampires. (laughs) I mean, I guess when was that? When was that review written? I, I I don't have it on me right now, but I mean, I I don't think it was, I don't think it was, it wasn't like so far like towards the end like when the movie came out and it wasn't like most recent. It was kind of like somewhere in the 2000s, but I was just like, okay. oh, I'm reading. Okay. Yeah, sure. But you kind of sound like you like it in this thing. And all of a sudden he's like, there's no vampires. And I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> did you just watch Twilight and just like saw this and thought there's a spiritual sequel? That may or may not be my second, like the best comment besides it wasn't better than Ice Age 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what movie that. I think it was Citizen Kane. They were like, it's not as good as Ice Age. Too. Yeah, I, don't, I think it was Citizen Kane. Wow, <laughs> true cinema. That was so funny though. Right, we got some gems, people. We got some 
amazing people writing reviews. Yeah, but it could have been during like the. I mean, we've had a lot of phases with when where vampires were like a thing. Yeah. So I mean, was that was interview with the vampire? Did that come out during that time? That was the '90s. It may have been during that time. Maybe she was on an interview with the vampire. Like, this poor person probably <laughs> watched all three and was like, "When are the vampires coming?" I'm not understanding. As soon as, as soon as, like the sun came up, it's like. Well, he didn't burn up. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, we're moving on to the back half of the show. We're going to play a little game. It's a different game this week. Oh, God. But, um, so, has anyone heard of the movie grid game? Yes. yes. You guys got to tell me how to play. I've never played. I've wanted to. Okay. So, pretty much, we have to... I'll just do the first row. Like, you have to have a Bill Hader movie that also was a movie that was directed or produced by Judd Apatow. Then you have to have a Bill Hader movie that Seth Rogen was also in. And then you have to have a Bill Hader movie that was released from 2013 to 2023. So we're going to play this right now and see how it goes and see if we can do this in the future. Um, okay, so let's start with the Bill Hader uh, and Judd Apatow, director of Purdue. Everyone can contribute. Just the three of you are going to help each other. Train wreck. Train wreck, okay. I honestly couldn't think of one. Okay. Until you said that. 51%. Okay, pretty high, pretty high. Bill Hader and Seth Rogen, anyone? Super bad. Super bad? Nice. Can't can't ever forget their cops. Yeah. Um. And then a Bill Hader movie that was released from 2013 to 2023. Oh, but you can't do doubles. Like you can't say no. train wreck. It chapter two. It chapter two. Okay. Good guess. I was about to say. Oh it, wow. Yes. This is intense. See, you're gonna play it once, then, and then you're gonna have to like try again, and then because it's an addicting game. It's like a wordle almost, but like a movie version. <laughs> um. Okay. So okay. Le- Leslie Mann. And uh, Judd Apatow movie. I feel like it's pretty easy. 40-year-old virgin. 40-year-old virgin? 40-year-old virgin. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. 40s. (laughs) I just know when she screams, I want fucking pancakes. (laughs) Um, Seth Rogen and Leslie Mann. Knocked Knocked up. up. Knocked up, okay. Mm -hmm. I was like, is she in that movie? And I was like, oh, wait. She's in the (laughs) Um, And then released from 2013 to 2023. What was that movie where she got her hand blown off? The Bubble? Yeah, The Bubble. The bubble. <laughs> that movie's so bad. Oh, I never no. even finished it. Okay, so guys, we're on a great 12%. track. percent <laughs> We're doing great. So Jonah Hill acting roles. Did he ever produce or direct? Yeah. Uh, okay. He did the NA24 oh, movie, right? Mid-90s, yeah. Um, so Jonah Hill acting. Rip. Oh, what was that? Mid-90s rips. Great movie. Was it? I never saw that. I was, I've been meaning to watch oh, that. Fantastic. Uh, so Jonah Hill acting roles and then Judd Apatow. See, I would say super bad, but we already you used already it. You already used super bad. did super bad. And he's, already, he's also in 40-Year-Old Virgin, but we already used that. <laughs> oh, do you have something, Ethan? No, no, no. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think. Okay. Um. So then we'll move on to right now is where everyone's thinking. Jonah Hill acting role and Seth Rogen. This is the end. This is the end. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm like so nervous that I'm forgetting that I've seen movies. <laughs> Solid choice, 57%. And then Jonah nice. Hill and a, a movie released from 2013 to 2023. Do, do funny people. Funny people? Nobody, nobody puts in funny people. Movies suck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was not from 2013 to 2023. But it is for Judd Apatow and Oh, Jonah I'm sorry. Hill. Did you mean that one? Did I, I'm sorry. Was that what you meant? No, oh. but you can put it in if you want. How is that? How does that not count? Funny people came out twenty twenty two. Wait. All right. Funny people. Okay. Wait. Funny Pete. Wait. Hold on. Are we think about the same movie. Funny people with Adam Sandler. That's Adam. No. 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 Oh, sorry. 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 I might have given you the wrong title. I might have screwed us. <laughs> uh, up. We lost. Ruin the game. <laughs> Damn it. What movie were you thinking of? Uh, with you, you people. Oh, you people. With Issa. It's bad. Oh yeah, that was the one. The CGI kiss. Yeah. 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 That one. Dang it. Wow, okay, but we... I was put on the line and I, <laughs> and I botched it. I'm so sorry, guys. No worries. I, I feel like every time... I've, I played it once where I missed like three because I just like was not thinking of the genre. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, easy. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Nope. So I had like three empty ones. I'm like, nope. I have to actually think before I just type a random Well, that's what been ha- has been happening to me. I keep like missing one or two because I keep forgetting I only have a certain amount of guesses. Yeah, that's true. And I'm like, God damn it. But Ethan, your funny people did help us with the under category. So it was not for waste. <laughs> oh, thank God. Came in clutch somewhere at least. <laughs> Gosh. Um, okay, so now MVP, LVP, most valuable player, least valuable player. Ethan, do you want to go first with your most valuable player? Um, yeah, for sure. I, so I think my, my most valuable player to me would be Richard Linklater. Um, I think obviously I, I 
did talk about Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy and how much I really admire them in this movie. But I think from Linklater's standpoint, he kicks off a massive genre-defining trilogy with this movie. Um, he really embarks on his first, you know, something similar to, to Boyhood and, and his upcoming film of, like, spanning large swaths of time within a movie. Um, and he makes Days and Confused right before this. So he goes back-to-back, Days and Confused before Sunrise, um, and pretty much solidifies his ability to make movies um, about kind of people doing nothing. And, and I think that's really um, kind of cements his niche into what he can do. And, you know, later that grants him the ability to make School of Rock like 10 years after that. So I think it's a big win for everybody. Do you want me to do my least valuable player now or are we going to go We're going to go around for... and then you can do your least valuable okay. player. So, Jimmy, your most valuable player? I'm going to say Julie Delpy. Kelly? This is Richard Linklater. Okay, I was going to say Ethan Hawke. I didn't like the movie, but I'm not rude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes we don't like it or, like, we love it. So, like, we try to just, like, find fun ones. Yeah, there are times where we're, like, literally, like, pulling at strings and we're like, oh, God. I was just going to say an honorable mention for an MVP is the barkeep who gives the bottle of wine to, uh, to Ethan Hawke's character. I thought for way too long, a little psychotic, um, what happens if, if he says no? Like what happens if the if the barkeep is just like, I don't I don't believe you're gonna pay me back. I'm not gonna give you this bottle of wine. I just you know I just it is a movie where everything does fall into place. But it's yeah. like that guy really came in clutch and abided by the bro code. He he saw what was coming down Thanks, and uh, he saw it and he you know yeah he received. He it. was like I'll ruin that. the movie if I don't give this bottle of wine. So <laughs> I have to. Hundred yeah. percent. Richard Linklater was like, you better fucking say yes. <laughs> you better do it. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, your least favorite player. Did you say it already? Or no. no. Oh, okay. Um, the pacing. Pacing? Okay. Kelly? What can I pick? <laughs> I, I, I guess Jesse's character. Ethan Because I keep okay. saying, like, I, I wasn't into him, so. Yeah. Uh, Ethan, your LVP? Um, I was going to say the two guys putting on the cow play. That I, was mine, too. I, that was so random. A big bummer that they didn't go to the play. Also exceptionally random. And those dudes just seem like they're down in the dumps a little bit. They sound like they need a cooler life. It was a very weird moment when they're like, oh, we missed the play. And I was like, is it weird that I, I wanted to see what this fucking play was I, about? I wanted to see what this play was about. <laughs> Everybody does. I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like, I feel like the highlight of the movie when like you see like, because before like, right was in the beginning. So I'm like, oh, I'm really not sure what, what we're going, what we're going into here. And I'm like, I hope there's like a whole a whole section of just this play and the cow and that he yeah. smokes a cigarette with his hooves. No, but all I wanted, <laughs> all, all I would have liked if it was just the two of them that showed up and they were like, "What is this?" That would have been funny. Um, okay, so now the one of the last things we're gonna do is ratings. Um, I will give it a eight out of ten. Uh, Ethan, what would you give it? Ten out of ten, baby. Jimmy, premium film. I'm gonna give it a seven. I'm gonna give it a six. <laughs> That's actually higher than I thought you were going to give it. I could have gone oh, lower, that's... but again, I can't. It's one of those movies where it's like, I didn't enjoy it, but I can't like dispute like anything <laughs> against it. I didn't PEMDAS correctly, oh. but God it was 7.75. 7.75, so 7.8 if you ran. Yes, yes. Okay, 7.8. That's pretty close to the 8.1 on IMDb, so we came close. And finally, uh, Jimmy, give us the clue. You know the movie next week, right? Okay. We're back in Europe again. Okay. Uh, there's a very intense um, action scene that's, that kicks off the film. And um, there's a surprise cameo by Groot. Yes. That's a good one. These are good ones. Good clues. Um, okay, so if you can guess that movie uh, for next week, stay tuned. Ethan, thank you so much for coming on. If what once we once, once we pull before sunset, we'll have you back on to talk about it and see what if Kelly hates it or love it. Fingers crossed. Oh, or, get, get you know, review. if you want to come on whenever, you're always welcome. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having a fun me. Episode. Also, if you need some A24 people, I feel like we watch a lot of A24. So. I think I watch the most and I watch yeah. the weirdest. He definitely does. Is, but we do mostly all enjoy it. We would love to have any of you on the A24 club. Well, thank you for being on the show again. We really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you guys so much. This was a blast. That's it. See you guys next week. Bye. 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 See you. Thanks so much for listening. You can hear us anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we want to hear what you think, so leave us a review. Give us some likes on social media at Pop Poor Review. Click around www.poppoorreview.com. 
Become a member of our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash pop poor review for exclusive content and drink recipes. And one last thing before you go, make sure to check out the Titan Media Collective and Titan Cast Network. Enjoy the rest of your movie Monday. That was a Titan Cast episode.